0: Hello, everyone, and welcome. I am very happy to have Janet Price as my guest today. Janet is the Director of Admissions and Outreach at College Living Experience in Rockville, Maryland. Janet has nearly 10 years' previous experience as an educational advocate and has co-authored two books, Take Control of Asperger Syndrome, winner of the 2010 Legacy Book Award, and Take Control of Dyslexia, as well as numerous articles. She has been a guest lecturer for graduate programs in special education and autism at Towson University and American University and wrote the course content for an online graduate level class in special education advocacy. She has presented at national conferences on a variety of topics related to special education advocacy and transition, Most significantly, Janet is also the proud mom of two young adults with disabilities, one with a learning disability and one with a physical disability, who have successfully navigated college, graduate school, and careers in their chosen professions. Janet holds a BA from the George Washington University. Welcome, Janet, and thank you so much for taking the time to join me today to discuss independent living skills. Thank you so much for having me, Gilda. So, to begin with, what would you consider some of the most important skills to focus on for young people who are still in school and prepare them for a more independent lifestyle?
1: Well, one of the things I find is that parents of students who are in high school, for instance, are so focused on the academics and focused on getting that diploma that they often don't think about the soft skills beyond academics that are necessary to be successful after graduation and are sometimes a better predictor of future success than
0: grades themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Can you detail some of those skills that you're referring to in terms of the key areas that promote good habits and facilitate more independence?
1: Absolutely. So as a simple example, when parents ask me, what's the most important thing that I should be focusing on to prepare my my student for college, they're often surprised when I say the most important thing is to make sure that they are waking up independently with an alarm clock. And you know... I'm a parent myself and I've, I've had this battle and I know when you have a child with special needs, there are so many battles you're fighting on so many fronts and you need to pick and choose. And so a lot of times this seems one of the easier battles to just let go. Like it's so much easier just to kind of shake them awake, lay their clothes out and make sure they get out the door. The problem is that this is really the foundational skill that's going to set them up for a lifetime of success. No matter how smart, how bright your student is, if they get to college and they're sleeping through class and not attending, that's not going to be a successful path. Once they get into the world of work, you know, mom can't call and wake them up every morning. So this is a, a just a fundamental skill that's really necessary. Another thing I talk about a lot is medication management. Um, at this point, most students, special needs, ADHD, all sorts of, you know, anxiety, all sorts of different things. Um, you know, most college students, I think, are on some sort of medication. So the first thing is to be able to um, make sure you're taking the correct dose and taking it independently. And I often recommend to parents to use a seven-day pill box. That's what we do at College Living Experience. Um, help help your child learn how to set up that pill box and, you know, be able to have a visual check both for you and for themselves, to see whether they've taken their morning and or evening meds. But the second part of that, too, is to start, especially in high school, start teaching your child how to refill their medication themselves. Because too often what happens is, you know, we're talking about students who have executive function difficulties, who have difficulty with self-advocacy, and they get to college, And perhaps they're taking their medication on time, and you hit maybe, you know, October, beginning of November, and all of a sudden, looks like they're going to run out of pills. And you're talking about, you know, starting to study for exams and the work really piling up, and more often than not, the student's going to take a look at their pillbox and say, hmm, I'm running low, but hey, I'll be home in three weeks, I'll get more medication then. And then the next thing you know, they're taking those exams unmedicated. So, you know, that's the reason that additional skills like being able to refill on their own is super important. And then there are the other executive function skills that, you know, fall into that physical organization category as opposed to the executive function we usually think of in terms of prioritizing and organizing homework. This also has to be done with your dorm space, your living space, your apartment, and not just for health and safety issues, but if you can't find your keys, you can't get out the door. If you can't find your assignment, you can't turn it in. And yeah, we all have that
0: problem <laughs> finding, <laughs> finding 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 yeah. the keys. Where did I put my phone? Where are my glasses? I don't know. <laughs> Isn't right? that the truth? Isn't that the truth?
1: <laughs> and you can go on and on for these non-academic skills. The importance of hygiene of being at least exposed to public transportation. I love to tell a story about my daughter who um, went from here in the East Coast to college in the Midwest. And there was a shuttle bus that took the students around from building to building in a very large campus. And she said some of her friends she had made who grew up in small towns in the Midwest had never been exposed to public transportation. It was their first time on a bus.
0: So depending on where you're going to
1: be, you know, Have have your child take the bus with you or eventually without you. Um, And money management, too, uh, is very important, especially these days when a lot of students in college will be getting um, what looks like a credit card uh, with all of their money loaded onto it for laundry and for food, and sometimes it's accepted at local businesses. And um, that can run out really quickly if a student has never had any experience managing a budget
0: yeah very true, very true. These are all wonderful skills, and they all play into that whole area of of um organization and, and you know time management and you know self management and planning ahead really you know the, the, those planning skills that a lot of uh young people who are on the spectrum have difficulties with. Um, I mean, neurotypical people do, but especially um, I know uh, my own son, for example, you know, uh, one when he has something that he needs uh, a refill or some, th- some other toiletry or something that he's running low on, pretty soon it'll be, oh, I ran out, just like you said. I ran out. Um, I, I knew I had a little bit left, so I thought it would last me a while, but now it's gone and I haven't been using it for several days. <laughs> right? So yeah, yeah, that is definitely a, an excellent habit to work on sooner rather than later. I agree. So tell me, I've heard about the concept of something called backwards design. Uh, would you please discuss a little bit about what that means and how it helps families deal, deal with the feeling of overwhelm that frequently occurs when teaching a new set of skills to someone? I would love to. Thanks. So the concept itself, which was developed by
1: and Wiggins in a book called Understanding by Design, is really a concept that has to do with curriculum. And it kind of turned teaching on its head because teachers um, who were accustomed in the classroom to teaching the material, coming up with assessments to figure out if the student had learned the material. And then looking at the overall goals, what McTie and Wiggins did was said, you know, it really makes a lot more sense to start with the goals. What is it that you want the student to get out of this lesson? And then think from there, and what assessments will show you that your student has picked up those concepts? And then finally, design the activities and the smaller pieces that are going to lead to this. So, okay, that's all well and good for the classroom. How does it apply to independent living skills? And the answer is that when families are thinking about different types of skills that they'd like their their children to have at home, sometimes, again, it's, it's just so overwhelming that you don't even know where to begin. So if you start to think backwards, you know, what is the end goal? And then think about, what's going to show me that this goal is on its way to being met? And then what activities can I design? It helps kind of restructure your own thinking to break that down. <clears throat> and to give you a perfect example, I hear a lot, especially with parents of children on the spectrum, uh, you know, I have a teenager and it's the kind of time I see his neurotypical peers staying home alone and parents get a date night and they go out to dinner and a movie And I don't feel like I can do that yet. And that seems like such a huge thing. Uh, You know, how do I get out of the house and leave my kid alone for for three hours? Where do I even Mm -hmm. begin? Yeah. So, So we need to break that down to the end goal, to leave my child home alone while I go out to dinner and see a movie. What assessments will show that he can meet that goal? So really, I guess, staying home alone safely for increasing amounts of time leading up to that three-hour chunk. All right. So that makes sense. We can start off with 15 minutes at home, move up to a half hour, whatever increments make sense. Okay. And then what are the steps that he'll need to meet in order in order to do this? And then you have to start thinking about, well, what are the essential skills for staying home alone? Um, really, you're thinking a lot about safety. Things like... Do you know how to lock the doors, how to secure Mm -hmm. the windows? Do you know who should and shouldn't be let into the home? Uh, Do you know how to answer the phone appropriately and how much information to give out? And, uh, you know, I had a friend who told me uh, a wonderful story about her son. She was so proud she had taught him that when she's not home and somebody calls and asks for her to say, oh, I'm sorry, my mom's in the shower, she'll call you back so that they don't think he's home alone, except mm-hmm. that right. Right. someone would call, and then they'd call again 20 minutes later or a half hour later, and he'd say, oh, I'm sorry, my mom's <laughs> in the shower right now. <laughs> She'll call you right back. So, you an awfully know, long he,
0: shower. Yes,
1: it is. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very important yeah. to vary responses, to give um, you know a continuum of responses for, for our children to learn and to pick from. Or to teach them, you know, look at caller ID, and if it's not mom and dad, just don't answer the phone. Let it go to voicemail. That's really hard for kids these days who have phones in their pockets and who really expect to be, uh, you know, on call adults too, 24-7. It's really important to learn how to just let it go to voicemail. (laughs)
0: And yeah, of just say there, no.
1: <laughs> just absolutely. <don't> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And then, of course, there are times when things do pop up, and you know, you need to talk about how and when to call mom and dad when they're out and something's going on. And when you need more help than that, when do you call 911 or a police non emergency line?
0: <clears throat>
1: so essentially, You want to structure um, activities and instruction to help your child be able to spend unstructured, unsupervised time safely and appropriately. And I always like to emphasize that this is different from spending time productively. If you're expecting to go out to dinner (laughs) and a movie and expect to come back and the kitchen table's wiped down and the homework's done, that's pretty unrealistic. But if you want to come home and your kid is safe and happy, and the house hasn't burned down. <laughs> that's
0: that's really where the power begins. That's a <laughs> <Yes>. win. That's a win. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, tell me, how does your organization? I like that concept very much. By the way, I like that approach a lot. Um, so, how does your organization address these issues in terms of the services that you provide and? Also, does the client have to be local to your area to avail themselves of it, or can you refer to uh, programs and organizations in other areas perhaps that can help people who are looking for for this type of experience for their child?
1: Their Absolutely. All great questions. So I am the director, as you mentioned, of admissions and outreach for our center in Rockville, Maryland, which is very close to Washington, D.C. But we have six centers around the country. We have two in California, in Monterey and Costa Mesa. We have centers in Denver, Colorado, Austin, Texas, and Davie, Florida, which is near Fort Lauderdale, as well as mine in Rockville. Um, So first of all, we we are all one program, so any of these six centers that you attend, the supports and the programming is, is all going to be very similar. So um, we help not only in independent living skills, that's that's only a quarter of what we do. We're also helping students in academics, career development. We have a very robust social skills program. About three-quarters of our students at CLE are on the autism spectrum. Um, but we're here today just to discuss that independent living skills piece. So the way that works at each of our centers is our students are actually living in apartments, with our support. The apartments are nearby at some of our centers. They're as close as next door or across the street. Here in Rockville, it's about a mile away. Um, But at any rate, we have a lot of strategies that we put into place. Our first-line strategy is we have a resident advisor living on-site in the apartment complex. And he or she is not like a college dorm RA, but a full-time CLE employee who's, who's dedicated to this. They live in the complex. And they're available after hours for support. So that's, you know, the first thing that you know is that, you know, when your students are here, um, there's always someone that they can reach out to. Um, here in Rockville, we don't have a curfew in the evening because, um, you know, our students are adults. They're all 18 and above. They're living in a regular apartment complex. Their neighbors might not be in the program. Um, but where our students need support is more getting up and out in the morning. And that's part of, again, all of those skills that we talked about, waking up independently, hygiene, dressing appropriately for the weather, managing medication. So we have a morning wellness check. Our students are aware that the standard is they are supposed to be waking up independently. They're supposed to be keeping track of and taking their medication independently using a seven day pillbox. <clears throat> They're supposed to be dressing appropriate to the weather. And our RA will actually physically go out and knock on everyone's door in the morning. Are you up? Are you dressed? Show me your pillbox. As I mentioned, here in Rockville, our apartments are about a mile from the center, so our RA will. Um, we have two 11-passenger vans, and she'll give students a van ride in the morning to the center. Other centers, they're closer, so you know, they'll either get a ride or walk, whichever is more appropriate in that environment. The other things that we do with our students to address all of these issues, we have an independent living skills staff at each center. So our students will actually have appointments in their apartments twice a week for about a two-hour block of time. And during these appointments, we're helping them figure out all of those pieces of apartment and adult life that are going along with this important transition into adulthood. So one of the first things we're going to do is assess what do they know how to do and what don't they know. A lot of students come to us knowing how to make a bed and run a vacuum, but they've never cleaned a toilet. You can believe we're going to teach them hand over hand how to do that, Uh, things like contacting the leasing office or the management when something is broken and needs to be fixed. A chore rotation, whether it's for themselves or here in Rockville, we have two-bedroom apartments, so for the student and their roommate. We also do meal planning. We're going to think about breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks for a week's worth of time, generate a grocery list from there, go out in small groups, go grocery shopping, come back, and we're going to talk about safe food handling. And the fun thing is, you know, you think immediately, oh, well, you know, my child knows what should be refrigerated and what shouldn't. But safe food handling also encompasses things we don't think about that we do naturally, like checking expiration dates. You know, we don't want our students to be the ones eating the slimy turkey with the
0: rainbow-colored slime (laughs) on top. Oh, my gosh. The science experiment. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) So we're
1: doing that. Um, We're giving cooking lessons. Uh, opportunities to cook together, learn about healthy eating. Um, And then most importantly, our students are all paying their own bills. Now, this is funded from parents, of course, uh, you know, if they are working, which we have career supports as well, they can contribute. Um, But basically, we're having our parents deposit a lump sum in the beginning of the month into a student bank account, And with our support, students are learning how to reconcile their checkbook, how to write rent checks, how to do online bill pay for utilities, and we set aside recreational spending money. What we'll do is usually have our students' ATM cards linked to the account locked up in a safe in the office Um, because, again, our students are impulsive and have executive function um, issues and typically haven't had this amount of control over money before. So we think it's probably not a great idea to, to give them a loaded uh, debit yeah. card or
0: ATM card. But what Yeah, we'll and do then so I we... really do want to buy that video game console I saw over at Target. Exactly. Or over we... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That looks really good and fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what we do is, for their
1: weekly rec money, we let them take out cash, And they can spend it on whatever they want. You know, they probably will not have enough for the video game in Target, but we can talk about planned savings if they want to do that. If they want to buy something planfully and and save for it, that's a wonderful goal. Um, But in the meantime, for the money, the cash that they do get for the week, they're allowed to spend it on whatever they'd like, but they do need to keep all of their receipts. And so once a week, we'll get together with them. And they really learn experientially where that cash is going. I had one student here in Rockville who, within the first week of doing this, realized that that week he had spent $10 buying $1 cans of soda at the deli next door. And he realized, you know, I could have bought a 99-cent two-liter at Giant, our supermarket, and had an extra $9 in my pocket, maybe gone to the movies or something. So Mm -hmm. it becomes very real for our students. Eventually, they will um, earn the privilege of of carrying their ATM cards, and that comes at a different pace for everybody. Um, But we just want to make sure that they master these skills um, before we give them that access.
0: Well, that sounds like a wonderful program, Janet. Um, Tell me, is there anything else that you would like to add at this point that we haven't covered so far? And what do you feel is the most important takeaway that our listeners should have from our conversation?
1: I think there are a few important takeaways.
0: One, obviously, as I said, when you're
1: helping your child, especially in high school, you need to think beyond just the academics. There really is a college for everybody, and there are options, post-secondary options, for people who aren't quite ready for college yet, and those are programs like College Living Experience. You had asked me also uh, whether someone needs to be local to the area, do we refer, and each of our six centers, um, you know, obviously you can be anywhere in the country because our students do live on site, but um, if a student is not a good fit for CLE, uh, every one of our directors of admission and outreach works collaboratively and is familiar with resources in their particular area, and we are happy to refer out because it's all about helping families. As you know, it really takes a village, and no one program is the be-all and end-all. And we all have to, um, you know, work together and work with each other uh, to get our children where they need to be.
0: Absolutely, it takes a village. And by the way, you know, uh, something that you said kind of triggered another question. Um, Is this program primarily funded by the parents or by the families, or are there other funding sources available for families who perhaps don't have the kinds of resources to be able to afford it on their own?
1: Sure. Um, It is primarily private pay. However, there are a few things families should be looking into. Number one if you've never heard of an able account, and that's a whole other podcast, <laughs> but definitely look it up. Able accounts um, were designed for uh, young adults, or, or actually up to aged anyone up to age 26 with disabilities, um, and uh, they were originally designed to help people who were receiving benefits because. Uh, there is a cap on how much income you can have when you're receiving benefits. It's usually usually around $2,000, and that was keeping people in a cycle of poverty. So ABLE was enacted to allow people to save without losing access to their benefits. So that's one important thing. But if you're not receiving benefits, SSDI or Social Security, you can still open an ABLE account. You can save even more money if if that's the case. But the really interesting part is that recent legislation – has allowed families who have saved in a 529 college savings account to roll that money over into an ABLE account as long as the beneficiary is the same. And uh, that allows further use of the money because ABLE money can be used for any qualified disability expense and CLE tuition is a qualified disability expense. So, uh, you know, oftentimes parents will come to me and say, oh, we saved all this money and they're 529, and now they're not really going to college or going to go to a community college, uh, roll it over into an ABLE account, and expand the use of the money. So that's one thing. For our people in California, the regional centers um, will fund CLE tuition. So that is important to know. We also have a nonprofit wing called EFI, the Educational Foundation for Independence, E-F-S-I-N-D.org, and EFI supports several post-secondary and uh, K-12 programs um, for students with learning disabilities and on the spectrum, and uh, we are growing EFI, but they are able to give a small amount right now of need-based scholarship support, and the
0: information is on their website. That's wonderful. That's very, very helpful information, Janet. Thank you. Um, tell me, what is the best way for our listeners to reach out to you directly if they have questions or they want to know more? They can call us.
1: We have an 800 number, and they can find information about any of our six centers and our program in general. And that is 800-486-5058. And they can also check out our website, www.experiencecle.com. All one word, um, experience, E-X-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E-C-L-E.com. And uh, there's a place on the website where you can send messages and uh, we can send them out to the appropriate centers that way.
0: Great. Um, Can you repeat that number, by the way, just one more time? Sure. That is
1: 800-486-5058.
0: Thank you. And thank you so much again, Janet, for taking the time to share some really great information with me today.
1: Truly my pleasure, Gilda. Thank you for having me.
0: And I also want to thank our listeners for spending a part of their day with us. I'm Gilda Evans reminding you to take care of yourself and that special person in your life.